Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 134 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing writing workshops and whether or not you should attend one. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Just Fadams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and also the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He's also edited many anthologies, including the recent books The End Is Now, Dead Man's Hand, and Help Fund My Robot Army. So, John, welcome back. Good to be here. Then next up, we've got Jean Cavellos, founder of the Odyssey Writers Workshop. She also edited the Abyss line of psychological horror novels for Bantam Doubleday Dell, and is the author of several novels set in the Babylon 5 universe, as well as the nonfiction books The Science of Star Wars and The Science of the X-Files. So, Jean, welcome to the show. Thanks. I love being here. Thank you. And also joining us today is Jilly Dreadful, founder of the online speculative fiction workshop The Brainery. She holds a PhD in literature and creative writing from the University of Southern California and is an associate editor at Non-Binary Review and Unbound Octavo. Her short story Mooncakes was recently nominated for a Pushcart Prize. So, Jilly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. All right, and so we're going to be talking about creative writing workshops, and the writing workshops that are probably familiar to most people are the ones that you would take in college. So, John, just tell us, uh, what sort of experiences did you have with writing workshops in college? Uh, well, you know, I went to the University of um, Central Florida, and uh, there we didn't really have too much of a problem with uh, writing science fiction and fantasy and whatnot, like a lot of, uh, a lot of people aren't allowed to write science fiction and fantasy. So, I mean, my, my workshop experiences were fairly good in that regard. Um, there was even specifically a, a writing science fiction and fantasy class I could have taken. I just I couldn't ever make it work on my schedule because they only offered it every uh, very infrequently. But, I mean, actually going to writing workshops in college, I mean, that was the first time I'd ever workshopped anything. And um, that's actually really where I discovered that I might be able to be an editor. You know, because like, uh, you know, I was workshopping things and I seemed like I was, I had sort of a knack for it. The teacher seemed to think I had a knack for it. And, um, you know, that's, so that's really kind of where my career began was uh, as an editor was, was in those writing workshops. So that was, that was a good result. Yeah. And how about Jean? What sort of experience did you have with college writing workshops? Uh, I did most of my uh, college writing workshops in my MFA program at American University in Washington. Uh, they allowed, they allowed students to submit science fiction and fantasy, um, but I was the only one who was doing it. Everybody else was <laughs> writing uh, more literary fiction, so I was the weird girl writing science fiction. And the teachers, while they were not actively hostile to fantastic fiction, at least most of them weren't, um, they didn't know it. They didn't know what made a good science fiction story or techniques for uh, introducing exposition or world building or, you know, revealing strange creatures and things like that. Um, so they were limited in how much they could help me. I learned a lot about style, about how to write graceful sentences, um, similes and metaphors and other techniques, rhythm and sound. But I did not learn so much that I needed to know about plot, character, setting, and genre. So that's part of the reason that I went on to create Odyssey, was that 
I felt it would be so great if you had something equivalent to an MFA program, but where the teachers and the students all wrote science fiction, fantasy, and horror, they all knew it, and they all believed in its value as an art form. Um, the really funny thing is I had a very similar experience to John in that in all those workshopping classes, I realized I had a knack for editing and that um, I really enjoyed working with writers and trying to figure out what they wanted to say in their stories and how they could say it better and found that I, I enjoyed that a lot. So that's kind of how I went on in, in my writing and editing lives. Yeah, yeah. And how about Jillia? What was your experience? I would say that my experience as an undergrad was very different than grad school. Undergrad, there was sort of this exuberant experimentation in the workshops that I took, and that was really contagious for me and made me want to continue doing what I was doing. And I really loved the chemistry that would come out of those those workshops because I would build these networks of friends who are writers and we're all sort of in the trenches together, you know, making things. And in grad school, it was a much different experience. Uh, Dave, you were the only person I knew <laughs> who wrote science fiction in grad school I mean, for like three years. And um, up until you were in workshop with me, uh, I was the only person who wrote weird uh, fantasy type things. <laughs> so I was so grateful that you were in my workshop. And um, I felt less alone because that was one of the things that uh, came out of grad school is that uh, the teachers, the professors are amazing. They are not afraid of genre and they're not afraid of experimentation. They will cheerlead you on, on your way and they will have that intuitive editing sense that you're talking about. But the workshop format wasn't necessarily as conducive to me growing as a writer because a lot of people were, they would write on their comments, I'm, I'm not comfortable reading genre. And so that was part of the reason why I think I didn't know that this was something that I could do, writing science fiction and, and fantasy and horror, because the sort of the peer group I had uh, assimilated into they weren't doing or interested in the same things I was. And um, that's why I started the brain ring, <laughs> because I'm sort of stuck in upstate New York and I can't go anywhere. And uh, I wanted that experience of that undergrad experience of creating that chemistry and that network of like-minded writers. And I, I just suspected that if I could get a classroom of science fiction, fantasy, and horror writers all on, like, one story at the same time, the magical things would happen. <laughs> and it turned out, last semester, magical things did happen. And I gotta say, the, the feedback that the that you get from fans who are practitioners themselves is so much more, like, dynamic than, um, like, a, a traditional, like, literary fiction program. Yeah. So, I mean, both Jean and Jilly, you guys both did MFAs or PhDs or whatever in creative writing. Is that something that you, and it sounds like you had kind of mixed experiences, right? Is that something you would recommend for aspiring science fiction writers or not, basically? Um, like, Jilly, what do you think about that? 
I think if as long as you're going in with your eyes open to what your program is uh, practicing at that time and what the professors are open to, then I think it's a really valid and validating experience. Uh, a PhD is slightly different uh, with its trajectory. Usually there's a higher education sort of goal of getting that job as a professor of creative writing eventually. And um, that is its own complicated animal that I don't necessarily want to like divert the conversation into. But for the experience of workshopping and really growing as a writer, I, I do believe in that. It's just that I don't necessarily know if I should have gone into the PhD program right after undergrad. I actually wish I had waited three or four years to find my voice as a writer and then go into that PhD program really confident so that I knew who I was, what the kind of writing I really wanted to do. Because I fell into that trap of, well, if no one is getting my writing, you know, because I'm doing like a horror story, then maybe I should write something that people will actually understand. And I didn't have any fun doing that. And it felt like it was killing my spirit a little bit. So that was my my problem as a writer was that I was trying to people please too much. And that that's detriment to writing. You have to write for yourself first and then and then edit and shape it for someone else later. And uh, as long as you can go into a, a uh, graduate program with your voice intact and you know what you want to do and get out of it, I do recommend it, but not if you're just trying to find yourself as a writer, not necessarily. Although I didn't take an MFA, I took a PhD, and I didn't get an MFA along the way or anything, so I don't know how much different that experience could be. So I'll let Jean talk about that. Sure. Um, I think that an MFA can be useful. I think uh, an MFA program is much less intense and much less advanced than what we do at Odyssey, for example. So I think it can be a good way for somebody who is maybe not quite ready to go to a more intense workshop to experiment, to get some more skills, to um, sort of build up to the point where they're ready for something more advanced. I would say if somebody who writes uh, in our genres is interested in an MFA to make sure absolutely sure that the teachers not only accept that sort of writing, but that they know it and embrace it and are um, experts in it. So for example, there's a couple of uh, low residency MFA programs, uh, one at Stone Coast in Maine and one at Seton Hill in Pennsylvania that both um, focus on genre fiction that a lot of people I know have gone to those and found them useful. Um, but I do agree totally with what Jillia is saying that before you go into any lengthy extended program, you want to have a clear idea of who you are as a writer and what you want to write. You don't have to know exactly, but you need to have some idea. Otherwise, you get overly influenced by the other people at the workshop and by the teachers. That's the same thing happened at my MFA program was that um, writers came in writing all different sorts of things, and then they all left writing the same sort of thing, except mm -hmm. for me, because I yeah. was like the, the bit of gristle that wouldn't turn into <laughs> hamburger. Uh, but so that's, you know, that's kind of 
that's sad to see. And that's something that I try to avoid at Odyssey by making sure that that I see something in the writing sample and in their essay about, you know, where they are in their writing and um, my contact with them, that they have a feeling about what they want to say and who they are, because I don't want to turn them into, you know, some puppet that is just trying to please the majority, you know, oh, that haunted doll story was very popular in the workshop last week. So I'll write a haunted doll story. <laughs> it's not really the way to brilliance. All right. Well, let's talk about these, these residential workshops like Clarion and Odyssey that are really the, the big ones for, for science fiction writers. Now, John, you've done quite a bit of research into this. You wrote an article a few years ago, ago called Basic Training for Writers, where you uh, did sort of a survey of these types of workshops. Do you want to just uh, run through what some of the big ones are uh, that, you, I know that you think are the, the good ones? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so Clarion, uh, Clarion is sort of the, is one that sort of comes to mind often first, uh, you know, Clarion and Odyssey sort of side by side as, um, the, the two big ones. Uh, Clarion is, uh, I believe exclusively focuses on short fiction, whereas Odyssey, um, you're allowed to write, uh, you're allowed to work on novels at Odyssey, uh, but also write short fiction. Um, but so, uh, basically, both workshops are similar in that they're like six weeks long and they both have guest instructors. Uh, Clarion set up where it has, um, a different, uh, working writer, uh, who's your, like, your mentor of the week and, and they're there all week. And then, uh, um, Odyssey is led by Gene and Gene's there all, all the, the whole time and they have, uh, guest lecturers come in. Um, and there's a writer in residence that is, I, I believe is there the whole time, right, Gene? Uh, no, the writer in residence is there for a week. Oh, okay. So there for a week. Okay. Um, but so, you know, so there's some differences like that and, um, but they're pretty similar in terms of, uh, the type of experience you might get from it. Um, although obviously they're, uh, they're different enough that there's people like Mr. Dave Kirtley here who, who went to both. Hmm. Um, although, uh, Dave actually went to most of these workshops that I uh, surveyed on, uh, when I did this article and actually, um, when I was thinking about uh, writing this article, I, I was really pushing Dave to write it. Cause I was like, well, you went to the ball. <laughs> you should do it, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I ended up, um, you know, trying to do a survey of all these things. Cause I would see writers um, like, cause you know, I used to work at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction before I started editing Lightspeed and all these uh, anthologies and stuff. And so I, I had been seeing these cover letters for years and years and years and, and people talking about, they went to Odyssey, they went to, you know, they went to Clarion, whatever. Um, and I, I just, you know, you can really see, you know, some differences in people before and after that they go to these things. And, and I thought that was interesting. And so I thought it might be worthwhile to sort of explore which ones that are out there and, and help writers find these things. Um, so Clarion Odyssey, um, there's also a, a second Clarion workshop called Clarion West, uh, which is in Seattle. And... Uh, then, like, uh, Orson Scott Card runs a series of workshops called Uncle Orson's Writing Class and Literary Boot Camp. Um, so, so one of the, some of the differences are, like, uh, the Orson Scott Card workshop is, is shorter than the six weeks that Clarion and Odyssey do. Um, I think it's only two weeks or maybe, maybe one week. Um, and then there's, uh, Viable Paradise, uh, which is, again, um, it's a shorter workshop. I believe it's, uh, is it one week, I think. Um, there's the Center for the Study of Science Fiction, uh, which is in Kansas. It's led by James Gunn, who's a, uh, you know, CIFWA Grandmaster, uh, award-winning author, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, uh, there's a whole academic program there at the University of Kansas where they, uh, you know, study science fiction, as the name implies. 
Um, there's Tao's Toolbox, uh, which is run by Walter John Williams, and that one's sort of built like as a, sort of the master's class, so it's like intended to be like, okay, well, if you've gone to Odyssey or you've gone to Clarion and you want to sort of continue, you want to do like continuing education, it's like that's sort of what Tao's Toolbox is positioning itself as. Um, although again, that one's a, you know, a sort of thing where you have to apply to get in. Um, I don't think that it's actually required that you've gone to Odyssey or, or Clarion and, and, or whatnot, but, um, it, but that's kind of how they're positioning themselves. Let's see. Otherwise, there's, there's also some other different ones that are sort of more specialized. There's like, there's one called Launchpad, which is actually, um, it's not a regular writing workshop. It's, um, it's specifically designed to be like astronomy education for writers. So, uh, like the, it's like it's had funding from NASA and the National Science Foundation, that kind of thing. And the whole goal of it is to have more, uh, accurate science in science fiction and, and whatever other kinds of stories so that, um, when people, uh, read and, and, you know, they, when they read fiction and everything, um, it's more likely that they'll actually get good, accurate science in there, um, which is good for, good for the science community um uh there's the alpha science fiction and fantasy and horror workshop um for young writers uh that one's uh ages 14 through 19 there's also another young writers one called shared worlds uh which jeff vandermeer and ann vandermeer um do a lot of work with and let's see the one last one i have on my list here is there's one called superstars um which uh kevin j anderson um runs and uh I'm not as familiar with that one, but uh, it's a newer one, and it, it has a slightly different focus than uh, some of the other ones. I mean, it's really geared towards, um, you know, uh, like the business side of things and, like, you know, how to really, you know, make a career. So, if, you know, it focuses more on the sort of career aspects rather than the, um, uh, you know, the the writing instruction type things. Although, I'm, I think, it, I believe it does both of those, so. So, I mean, that's basically what I have on, on my list there. And then, of course, you know, Jilly has the brainery, and, and there's other ones, I'm sure, too, that, uh, that you know, um, I didn't include in this article, but um, it's a good starting point anyway. All right, well, let's talk about these these long summer workshops. Um, Gene, what do you think? Should just anybody go to Odyssey, or is there a certain level of experience that you should have before you apply for something like that? I think, you know, clearly students need a certain level of skill in order to um, apply and get admitted into one of these intensive workshops. Um, also, as I was mentioning earlier, I think it's important that they they have enough of a sense of who they are and what type of thing they want to write so that they are not overly influenced when they get there. Um, clearly, if if a student is way behind everybody else in the class, Maybe they, you know, write really awkward sentences, they don't know grammar well, or they're really poor uh, at characterization. They're not going to get as much out of the class as everybody else, because they're going to, we cover so much so fast, and it's so intense that it's easy to be overwhelmed. Now, it may be that they think they're a lot worse than they are, or maybe they think they're a lot better than they are. So those are always battles to fight. Sometimes people come in and they are so, they feel so inferior. They have that imposter syndrome where they feel like they don't belong, um, that it can be very painful and difficult for them to receive feedback because they think that they only hear the negative stuff and it makes them feel 
like, yes, indeed, I don't belong here and I, I'm really no good, um, which is not something that I want to happen. Um, and then the people who think they're way better than they are, if they ignore the feedback and they resist and they're defensive and they don't listen, then they get nothing out of the experience. So I've had both kinds of reactions. Um, but you definitely need to be ready to hear about problems in your work. Uh, and you need to be ready to work and persist and change the way that you write. Change your writing process. A lot of writers are so fixed in, well, this is how I do it. And if that's how you do it, then that's the result you're going to get. And you need to change your process to change the result. What do you think, Jean, is the difference between, from the point of view of someone giving a critique to another writer, between a good critique and a bad critique? Like, what have you seen over the years are the ones that really work and the ones that really don't work? So I think a good critique tries to understand what the author wants to achieve in the story, which can be murky. And sometimes the author's trying to achieve five different things in the story, in which case you have to tease them apart and kind of say, okay, well, you got to choose one because it's a short story. So <laughs> did you want to achieve this particular thing more or that particular thing more or the other stuff? So trying to understand what the author wants to achieve and then trying to offer suggestions on how better to achieve that. Well, maybe you could make it be about this, in which case, you know, maybe it would open with the way it is opening, but it would end very differently because it would stay on this focus. Um, so offering suggestions, not being accusatory, uh, like you did this and you did that, and you really made me bored for 10 pages. And you made me so confused here. You really don't want to be accusatory in a critique. It's painful enough for the author. And while it's very important to be honest and to give your truthful opinion about the strengths and weaknesses, there's no need to make it any more painful than it has to be. So you have to be forthright and honest, but you, you can phrase things in such a way that it does not have to drive a dagger into the heart of the author. You know, you can say, well, I felt this way when I read this, or I didn't understand why the character did that. So it's, it doesn't come off so much in a way that makes the author put up his defense shields, in which case then it's not useful feedback. Um, part of that is the fact that getting your work critiqued when it means so much to you challenges you not only intellectually, not only your self-image, you know, you thought you were a lot better writer than you discover you are. Um, morally, how are you going to react to that? Are you going to lash out at other people? Uh, ethically, spiritually, uh, on all levels, people are challenged. And what I've found over the years as I have gotten better at running a workshop, is how positive and wonderful that experience can be when people rise to the challenge, when um, people overcome their insecurities, when they work together instead of fighting at each other and competing. Um, for example, this last summer, we had, um, you know, how it is when you're about to be critiqued that day, you get very, very anxious about it. Uh, and so this past summer, they created a ceremony for themselves <laughs> that the people who were about to be critiqued that day would 
be given this ceremony to help like create a sense of calm and the ability to accept whatever they were going to hear and to not feel afraid or angry or anything um and they would it involved um let's see a crown that you would put on that was made out of toilet paper and paper <laughs> clips like little toilet paper flowers and um they would read a a reading out of the shakespearean insult generator they would <laughs> read an excerpt from the odyssey then the person would be able to choose a song and they would all dance to the song around a goat a plush goat standing on a can of condensed milk <laughs> and when i found out about this i was like first of all this is just totally crazy and how did the goat get involved <laughs> condensed milk um, but but the idea that they wanted to help each other to cope with the situation to, and to have it be a positive experience was just this wonderful thing for me mm -hmm. Well, but then you mentioned that sometimes people lash out at each other and, you know, there is a lot of, it is very emotionally fraught. Um, do you have any advice you would give to people who uh, might enter this kind of emotionally fraught terrain for, you know, just to give them a warning of uh, what kind of things they might be encountering? <laughs> well, I, I lecture for like an hour on this odyssey now <laughs> um, on the first day about all of the pitfalls of being critiqued and how you can, first of all, just simply despair and decide you're no good and get in your car and run off and go home um, or nev never write again or decide you're not going to write again so these people can't hurt you anymore. Um, or you can decide to ignore everybody and tell yourself you're better than all of them. Or you can um, hate the whole group and decide they're all idiots. I spent many years, a lot of those um, undergraduate college workshops I was in, I just spent thinking, they're all idiots. That's why they don't understand my work. When it was really that my work was just really confusing and not very understandable. Um, so uh, I think going over these various problems, you know, then uh, turning on one individual, maybe somebody who got a better critique than you did. And so you now want to knock that person down or they knock you down you want to knock them back down or distractions go into the movies goofing off um getting involved in uh little intrigues among the classmates since i go over all that stuff like on day one it kind of diffuses all of it and so it hardly ever happens anymore any of those things because we talk it all out um, I mean, certainly people get hurt. I think it's impossible to have your work critiqued without being hurt, unless it doesn't mean anything to you. Um, but they understand it in the context of this is part of the process. I have to be able to see my work the way other people see it and to see the flaws that they see and the things that don't work for them. Otherwise, it's impossible to improve. Right, right. See, Julie, do you want to jump in here? Have you had any memorably negative? moment uh, workshopping moments you can remember i hope this doesn't sound just like self-congratulatory but last semester we didn't really have that but i know that i have personally experienced that in workshop and so that's part of the reason why i try to be really mindful of it and the two things that come to mind are one when you are putting a lot of effort into somebody else's story and you know i like to go line by line i like to tell people 
this sentence was beautiful or this one was clunky and um, I like to really dig my heels into somebody's story and I give really in-depth feedback and I always have. It didn't matter if I was running my own workshop or, or not. And then when you get that like 100 word, you know, throwaway comment on your story in return, that's all, it always felt like a slap in the face. And so, um, reading someone else's story and critiquing it is just as important as doing the writing that you're doing because you're learning what, what to do and what not to do. And it's making you a better editor and like revisionist of your own writing as well. And you develop your critical eye. It's how you develop your taste level. I mean, all of this is, it can only improve your writing. And so that's the one thing that um, was really hard for me in grad school. The other one was when the comments would be about your, like, the author. <laughs> um, especially because if you have, like, some tough themes going in, if you're trying, especially in uh, with the emphasis on diversity in science fiction, the push for more diverse stories and storytellers, and especially in our current contemporary cultural moment, we have to be okay with writing diverse characters and talking about race. And I don't want people to shut down somebody's story and call the author racist if they're writing about racism. You know what I mean? So it, there's difference between uh, a racist like value judgment on the behalf of the author um, and also writing a racist character as part of an, like a narrative trajectory. And, um, it's a tricky line. It's one that is, you can't, you kind of like don't know what that boundary is until you're in it, but it's really, those, and those discussions are important. And I feel like you can't really assign value judgments to author character, like the moral character of an author. You have to talk about it and check in the terms of the story. That, cause that was one of the things that really hurt me was like, I had a, I had a, a, an incest story as, as a grad student. And everyone, not everyone, like a couple people would write, how could you write something like this? And I was like, whoa, I'm, I, 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 I can we talk about the story? Don't talk about me, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, one bad workshop experience I can relate is when I was a, in my MFA program in a workshop. Um, my teacher was Frank Conroy, who's now deceased. So oh, wow. I think I can tell the story. He was a brilliant literary writer, but very much of the angry critiquing school. Oh, no. <laughs> so one day we're in the workshop and he's critiquing this guy's story and thank god it wasn't mine because i never would have written another word again if it <laughs> had been my story but he's so he's going on and on about all the problems with his story and he says well let's just look like at page three and he opens it to page three and he says now what would happen if we just ripped this page out <gasps> and rips it out balls it up and throws it across the room and he says what would happen if we just got rid of that nothing nothing huh. would change yeah, so I was like shrinking Whoa. up into my seat. Um, and that I think was 
you know, it's dramatic, and <laughs> maybe some people need to be shocked into listening, but I really don't think that's helpful for most people. Okay, so, so John, earlier you mentioned that you would see stories from writers would submit stories to you before they had gone to a workshop and after they had gone to a workshop, and afterwards the stories would be different. Could you elaborate on that? Like how, how are the stories different or improved uh, as a result of attending a workshop? It's hard to really explain exactly how they've improved, but there there have certainly been um, writers where I noticed like there was a quantum leap in their ability. Like before the workshop, it's like I recognized their name because they had submitted a bunch of stories, but nothing had ever made any impact on me. And then immediately after the workshop, I noticed like, oh, wow, they really figured something out there. Like, you know, they suddenly like now this story is grabbing my attention and um it's like that sort of indefinable, like, X-factor sort of thing that, that happens. It's not like I can say, oh, well, they obviously learned a lot about plot there, or they learned about characters, you know what I mean? It's like they suddenly figured out that thing, that, that mystical thing that we all try to get. And, um, and that's always exciting to see, because you're like, oh, wow, they've, you know, this is a person that's figured it out. And, uh, you know, and then now suddenly I'm looking at each uh, new submission of theirs with uh, much greater interest, you know? Uh, cause you know, as a, as an editor, you, um, you get a lot of submissions from authors and you always hope that like, you know, once you start recognizing names, you're like, oh, I hope this one's good. You know, it's like, uh, if you remember the, their previous ones and it's like, um, but then at some point you're like, oh, well, you sort of start to lose hope a little bit because like once you've, once you've seen so many by a particular writer, it's like, well, I, I mean, if they're, if they're not showing any signs of improvement and, um, those are the kind of people where it's like, obviously they have the dedication um, you know, because they keep at it and they keep working at it. They keep writing new stories. Um, you know, so they have that part of it. It's like those are the kinds of writers where, um, like, I really uh, hope that they explore the, uh, you know, going to these types of workshops because I think uh, going there, uh, going to one of them is is the kind of thing that could push them off that plateau. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely seen it uh, over and over. Although on the flip side, I also have seen you know writers where it seems like there's been no change. You know, they go to the workshop and after the workshop, I, I don't perceive any particular difference, um, you know, but uh, hopefully they got something out of it. And, and, and at some point they'll, they'll, they'll figure things out. But, um, you know, I mean, that's just to be expected. Uh, you know, I think people go to these workshops with all sorts of, um, you know, all sorts of reasons and and you get all different kinds of things out of them. For instance, uh, Gordon Van Gelder, who, you know, who was my boss at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. um you know, he said that uh, he went and uh, one of the things that he learned from it, from the experience, was that he did not want to be uh, a professional writer, like, as his career. You know, it's like, not that he was going to quit writing, but that, you know, going into the process and, like, you know, sort of working hard as a writer, like, you know, having to hit deadlines and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, he realized that he didn't want to do that as his career. And so that's why, you know, he ended up uh, as an editor and publisher. Uh, but I mean, so that's valuable experience too. Like, you know, he felt that was totally worth it. The totally worth the experience, the cost and everything to, to discover that at, at an early age that, um, you know, it's like, okay, well, if maybe I'll write on the side, but that's not going to be my primary focus. Um, and you know, plenty of other writers also, they go and then they, and then they never write again after that. It's like something about the experience breaks them. And that's actually also, you know, that's a very valid, uh, thing that, that, that the workshop can do for you. It's like, if you can be broken by that. Um, it's probably best that you learn that as soon as possible so that you can save yourself some agony. Um, like I think Harlan Ellison, um, has sort of famously said that, um, I think it was him anyway, that 
It's like, if I can tell you to quit writing and you do, um, you know, or if I read one of your stories and I tell you that you're terrible and that you quit writing, it's like, well, then I've done you the greatest favor in your life, you know, like to save yourself all this agony. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of benefits you can get by going to one of these things, including maybe, you know, that, you know, hey, maybe this isn't for you. But, you know, most writers, I think, actually do go and they just learn a lot about it and they, you know, have a good positive experience. So should people, John, if people have attended one of these workshops, should they put that in their cover letter? Does that affect how their submission is handled in any way? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely worth mentioning. Uh, I wouldn't say that it uh, affects uh, affects much per se. I mean, because uh, most of the time these days, I'm not really even looking at cover letters until um, after I read a submission. But uh, different editors work differently. A lot of editors do look at that kind of thing. Um, when I was at FNSF, it was the kind of thing that, um, you know, maybe the fact that you'd gone to Clarion or Odyssey would uh, sort of get you out of the slush pile. Maybe it's something like I would take it to Gordon and say, hey, is this somebody that you want to look at? You know, because if, if I don't know who they are otherwise, that kind of thing. So um, it's almost like it's a credential, like as if you had published a story in, in some, you know, uh, known magazine. Like if you, know, if you had sold a story to Asimov's or, or, or Analog or something like that, when I was at FNSF, I'd be like, okay, well, that that might mean that Gordon needs to look at this automatically. Um, for me, um, you know, like uh, maybe if I uh, if I read a story or uh, if I have my slush readers reading stories and I um, see their comments and they're like kind of on the fence. And if I go and I look at the, the author's uh, cover letter and I say, oh, no, they're they're a Clarion graduate or they're a recent Clarion graduate, something like that. Like sometimes I'll be like, Oh, let me take a look at that just to see. Cause you know, if it's a writer I'm not familiar with, maybe I want to see, you know, I want to see for myself firsthand rather than just uh, relying on my slush readers judgment. So, uh, so yeah, definitely, um, you know, it can have a positive effect in that way, at least for me. And John also, I mean, your wife is a writer and she's attended some writing workshops, right? Do you want to just talk about what, from your point of view, what have her experience has been with them? Uh, I think they've been great for her. I mean, she went to Tal's Toolbox and, um, you know, she had a good experience there. She, I feel like she learned a lot. Like I could see, um, I could see the, some of the changes that she's been able to implement in her own writing, you know, um, like, uh, the certain problems that she was, uh, constantly, uh, finding herself butting up against. And then after going there, like she seems like she's, uh, uh, having that happen less where like, you know, she's able to overcome that thing and she's learned how to, I, I feel like she learned a lot about plot there. Um, I mean, she, you know, cause we talk about a, a lot of the process, uh, uh, from time to time. And so she, uh, definitely, um, and indicated that she learned a lot about, uh, of that, although that's, uh, something that, uh, I think everyone struggles with, uh, as a writer, <laughs> um, until maybe they become like just a perennial, uh, you know, bestseller type of person, you know, it's like, once you do that, like maybe then at that point you figured out plot, but, um, seems like a lot of people struggle with it uh, continuously for, for a long, long time. Well, I mean, how about, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about what it's like just emotionally watching someone you love go to a workshop and have this very, you know, emotional experience, I, I would think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was great to see, uh, her go and, uh, sort of come back and be sort of glowing about the experience and, and having felt like she, uh, you know, met a bunch of like-minded people and, and like, you know, I think, you know, I'm sure you can attest, Dave, uh, when you go to one of these things, you, you, you make a lot of, uh, you know, sort of lifelong friends, that kind of thing, uh, because you go and you have this intense experience with people, um, who are all like-minded. That's one of the reasons, I guess, uh, it's sort of, uh, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, people go and then they end up, uh, splitting up with their, uh, spouse or something because, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> 
you, oh my because, well well because you go because you go to this workshop and like um you know then you meet all these people who are exactly like you and maybe your spouse isn't exactly like you maybe they don't really get this whole writing thing that you're doing you know so i mean that's that's happened before um but uh so i can i can understand that uh, you know having this intense emotional experience is really great for a lot of people like that yeah, I mean, I mean, Gene, do you want to pick up on what John was saying there about what happens to people after the workshop and forming connections and staying in touch moving forward? What what have you seen in terms of that? Yeah, we have um, a lot of resources for for Odyssey graduates. So we have you know discussion groups online for each individual class, so they can stay in touch. And we have a big collective discussion group for all of the Odyssey graduates over all the years and a critique group and different things like that. And what I see is um, in the individual class groups, um, a lot of them, uh, at least in recent years, have been very happy to stay in touch with each other and really encouraging each other, exchanging stories, critiquing stories, just um, um, nagging people if they're not doing their writing. Um, we have one class, uh, <laughs> class of 2013, they call themselves Team Ambitious, and they each week post their goals of what they want to do and their um, the results of what they did in the past week, and they are crazy. They have been writing and submitting stories to each other each week since the end of the workshop in 2013, so it's like a year and a half ago now. Um, sending their work out, making sales, but really just showing each other they care. And I think I would, um, I used to kind of think that maybe Harlan Ellison had a point in that famous saying of his that, you know, if I can discourage you from being a writer, then you're not really a writer and I've done <laughs> you a favor. Um, I really don't believe that. Uh, I think that a lot of writers are uh, emotional and messed up people who are easily <laughs> discouraged. And that doesn't mean they're bad writers or that they shouldn't write. And that having somebody that you know cares whether you wrote today or not can make oh, a big difference. Yes. That's what these classmates do for each other for the long haul. Writing is a lonely business. You know, you're sitting by yourself for hours working and banging your head against the keyboard, at least <laughs> if you're me. And to have that knowledge that other people care and the other people believe in you and want you to succeed can be a huge help. And just because maybe that helps you and that you need it and you're not entirely self-sufficient, that doesn't mean you're not a great writer. Okay, well, I mean, Jill, you, you've talked a little bit about the brainery, but why don't you just lay it out for us? Why did you start it? How did you start it? How do people get involved? What's the website? All that sort of stuff. Okay, um, well... The full frontal honesty version is I applied, all right, so applying to creative writing assistant professor jobs is a year-long process, and I got four interviews, and I didn't get any of those jobs, and um, I was really broken last year, uh, around April, <laughs> and I was, like, needing to reboot my life, because I was, like, I spent so much time investing in getting what I thought was going to be like a tenure track job and it didn't happen. And the critique that I got was uh, I was too young <laughs> that I didn't have enough out there yet in comparison to other people who were 10 years older than me and had already been doing the creative writing assistant professor job thing. 
So um, I was like, I, they told me I did everything right. They wish they could hire us both, but unfortunately, like, that person just had seniority, really. And I didn't know how, what to do with that information because I did, they didn't tell me I did anything wrong. And so um, I had developed all these classes I wanted to teach, <laughs> like science fiction fairy tales, and I had no outlet for this anymore. And I was really, really sad. So um, there was... There was this group that I joined on Facebook of other uh, female science fiction writers, and I floated this idea to them in, like, August, and everyone was like, do it, do it, do it! And without their support and love, I never would have gone through with it because I wasn't sure. I, I guess I was still experiencing that sort of imposter syndrome um, where, well, I didn't get the assistant professor job. Am I really qualified? And so I turned that narrative around in my mind and used it to empower what I was doing as opposed to, like, using it to tear myself down. I was like, well, I made it to campus interviews, which means I am competitive to be a professor. And there we go. I'm going to use that to motivate this idea as opposed to, like, use it to be stagnant. And so that's how that came about. Right. Well, and could you tell us, though, Julie, how, how do people get involved with the Brainery? How do they sign up? Or Oh, yes. Um, so they have the website. It's um, www.transmography.net slash Brainery. That's kind of a long and involved uh, a web address. I'm sorry. Uh, but the Brainery was already taken by a business in Australia. And um, so how you sign up is... Uh, each course has its own little outline or syllabus, and there's a little button near the bottom where you can register. There are also ways for writers who are in dire economic straits themselves to uh, take a workshop. And uh, so far, I've been able to fund two writers this spring uh, through donations from people in the speculative fiction community. So if money is an issue, try not to let that get in the way. Because um, I know also, I, I, I know Clarion, and I thought Odyssey too, I thought they had like scholarship programs as well that helped defer the cost. Because as someone who, who came from a, a very poor, impoverished background, money was always a thing that I, was, I, I have been worried about. And um, it's something that in the past, when I was a grad student, I couldn't afford to go to Clarion, but I didn't know that they had scholarships. But yeah, so I, I just want people to like know that there are resources out there, and that, like the Speculative Literature Foundation has grants. They have like rolling grants every quarter. So there's like there are resources out there for people to um, take workshops too. And, and Chili, could you talk? I understand that you're going to be connecting students to established authors that they can work with. Oh yeah. Um, so one of the reasons that uh, I feel like the Brainery is successful, it's because I do have that background in higher education, where I was like on committees before, so I kind of learned how like speaker series should go. And uh, so I wanted to take my campus-bound experience of, you know, connecting with professional writers and artists 
and seeing how my students, their, their artistic approach and their practice really changed after they interacted with people like Shelley Jackson and David Mack. And so um, I wanted to replicate that as close as possible with my workshop. So even though we're virtual and we're all using like GoToMeeting every week to talk, um, I didn't want them to miss out on like, you know, living, living legends <laughs> advice. And so like last semester we had Christiane and we also had Lois Duncan. And oh my gosh, Lois Duncan had such a cool, um, she had such a cool round table. Because she's a novelist, and she was just uh, announced as one of the grandmasters for Myst for the Mystery Writers Association for this year, and um, she's written like 50 books, and so she really got down to the nitty gritty of like how you write a book. And I gotta say, after going through a whole PhD program, that was the most helpful. <laughs> that was the most helpful like hour discussion I've ever sat in on. <laughs> And I was so happy because, like, I get to provide this experience to my students, too. So even though it's all online, they're not missing out on, like, these really important advice and Q&A sessions with, you know, masters of the craft. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I want to talk, get uh, Jean to talk about this, too. Tell us about the next, uh, this, this upcoming summer at Odyssey. Just when is it? How do people get involved? Who's going to be there? All that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, the workshop's going to run from June 8th to July 17th. It's our 20th year, so I'm really excited. I think maybe I'm going to get it right this time. Yeah, <laughs> 20 years. I don't know how that happened. Um, but so people who come uh, need to apply. Uh, we have an early action deadline of January 31st if you want to find out earlier whether you're in or not, and then a regular application deadline of April 8th. Um, for people who don't need to have so much advance notice. So you need to get your application in and you need to be ready for, you know, five days a week of class. Um, we meet at least four hours a day, usually more like four and a half hours. About half of that is lecture and discussion and half of that is workshopping. Um, it's held at St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, you can find information and an application at our website, which is odysseyworkshop.org. And people can also find information there. We do have scholarships, as Julie thought, and we also have a, a work-study position that people can apply for to help reduce the cost of the tuition. Um, really, it's about being ready to work really, really hard and have nothing left at the end of the six weeks. And so, Jean, who are going to be the guests this year? Um, we have a writer-in-residence who's going to be there for a week, Kij Johnson. I am so excited to have her this year because I've been hearing for years what an incredibly great teacher she is. She teaches at the Center for the Study of Science Fiction that John mentioned. Um, and so she's usually busy in the summer, and we've been trying for a couple years now to coordinate our schedules, and it finally worked out. So she's going to be coming, and I think that's going to be a great opportunity for students. Um, we also have some great guest lecturers who come in for like a 24-hour period. Um, Brendan Dubois, who's a famous mystery writer who also writes science fiction. And I'm excited to see 
what he has to say about how we can apply mystery techniques to fantastic fiction. Um, and then we have E.C. Ambrose, who's an Odyssey graduate, and Alex Hughes, who's also an Odyssey graduate. I love having them come back after they've made successful careers for themselves so that the students can see, hey, this was me five years ago, and now this person's come back. They have a bunch of successful books out there, and they're teaching, and that could be me too. Um, and then we have Alma Alexander and literary agent Jennifer Jackson, who is awesome. So I have a question. Um, one thing that I've always kind of wondered about, and I imagine a lot of people listening to this are probably wondering about, uh, because Odyssey and Clarion uh, both, um, they it's not a first-come-first-serve uh, sort of situation when you apply. You, you're applying, and then you're being selected for the workshop or not based on the strength of the material you submit, right? So could you talk a little bit about, like, how do you make those decisions? Because, um, like, I mean, I know how I make a decision as an editor whether or not I want to publish a story, but that's not necessarily the case, I don't think, with the workshops. Like, I don't think it's just that, um, you know, these are the, the 20 best uh, stories that were submitted, and so we're going to take these people. I don't. Uh, I think it's sort of a combination of various factors, I imagine, but could you talk about that? Sure. Um, it's absolutely a combination of factors. I mean, as far as reading the writing sample goes, that obviously is the most important thing. I need to see a certain level of skill so I understand they're ready for the workshop and they can get the most out of it. Um, a lot of that relates to style. If you can't write a sentence that's clear and grammatically correct and um, graceful and conveys something important, then you're not really ready to come yet because that's a skill that I... I only have a few days to cover at Odyssey style and different different techniques, uh, and that's so that's something you need to come in with a, a good level of ability. Um, some things are hard to teach or time consuming, like style. Another one is voice. Um, writers with a strong voice, I feel very compelled to let in because that's a very valuable gift and something that that is hard to teach and if they already have that then other things can be added to that um, i love to see a sense of purpose that the the person is trying to express something important to them something that only they can say um, and not just parroting stories they've read before i think you know most writers start out imitating the writers that they love and that's fine, but you have to move beyond that and find what you have to say that's different from what everyone else is saying. Otherwise, what's the point? We've got plenty of the other stuff already. So if I can see those qualities, then I don't care so much if they have a great opening line or opening paragraph. I don't care so much if they have uh, a strong plot. Um, I don't care if their internal conflict is not fully developed. You know, I'd like to see some of those things, clearly, uh, and the more the better. But those sorts of things are much easier to teach. Plot structure, as um, you were talking about earlier, almost every writer struggles with, and it's not that mm -hmm. hard. It's not that hard to teach. Um, I also look at their essays that they write on the application, which is about what they've done so far for their writing, where they think they stand, what they want to do with it. And it's not so much exactly what they say, but often 
the stronger writers, the people who are more ready for Odyssey, have a better sense of what their strengths and weaknesses are. Some of the writers have no idea, and that kind of tells me that they, you know, they haven't gotten critiqued much, and they haven't delved into that very much, and maybe they don't want to hear what their weaknesses are. Um, so that's it's not, you know, a disqualifier or anything, but it, it's another clue to me about who's ready to come. Uh, and then I check their references. I didn't always do that, and then I learned, you know what? You have to check the references of these people because if they have been in other workshops where they have behaved well and they have been receptive to feedback, that's a wonderful indication that they're going to be great assets to an Odyssey class. Um, but if they have, you know, performed poorly in other workshops and they can't take feedback and they get angry or whatever, that's not somebody that I want to bring to Odyssey to uh, cause more pain to other writers. Mm -hmm. Um, quick uh, follow-up question. Quick follow-up. Um, would uh, if someone say someone was like the next Neil Gaiman, like you know they they're already polished, they they you know just they're wonderful, uh, and they submit a story, like would you uh, accept such a person, or would you be like, oh well, this person doesn't actually need our help, and there's other people that do need our help, so we should let them come instead of this other person who's already got all the tools uh, necessary. Oh, good question. Well, I think. Um... I think Shakespeare could really use a workshop. <laughs> tends, I love that so much. He tends to go on and on at times. <laughs> so I can't really say that I've encountered the writer that I didn't think I could help um, in some way. I mean, Stephen King is wonderful, but he has viewpoint problems, and he's still got them, and he's had them for years, and I really miss <laughs> Somebody would help him out with that because, it, you know, he's so good at everything else, and that would just take it the next step further. So, um, you know, maybe somebody like that would not need to hear some of the advice I have, but really I think every writer can get better in almost every element of fiction. Even if you're great at characters, you can get better at characters. There's not like a, you know, you get an A+. Plus. You can't really ever get an A-plus in, in writing or a 100. There's always a better, you can always make it better. And I'm not saying to torment yourself and never submit <laughs> anything. I'm, you make it as good as you can in the moment when you're excited about that piece and send it out. But I think every writer who's serious about the craft should always be wanting to improve and trying to improve. Okay, so, so Jean, if someone can't make it to New Hampshire for six weeks this summer, but they still want to work with you, is there anything they can do? Oh, we have so many different um, ways that we try to help writers. Uh, Odyssey is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to help writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror improve their work. So that's my mission, and that's I try to offer as many possible ways for that to happen as I can. I used to get lots of emails from people, you know, saying, well, why do you only offer this six-week workshop? I can't get away for six weeks. I have a family. I have a job. I can't afford it. Whatever. Please offer something shorter. Um, anyway, so for those people who can't, um, we have online classes that we offer every winter, and we hold those in January and February. Uh, we also have a critique service, so if you've written some stories or a novel or chapters from a novel that you want to get feedback on from a professional writer, really in-depth feedback, 
you can submit that and find out what your strengths and weaknesses are and how you can improve. We have free monthly podcasts that are excerpts from guest lectures at Odyssey. So you can yeah, get those are awesome, by the oh. way. Just love Thanks. those. <laughs> um, we have a weekly live online discussion salon. So you can talk to other writers. We talk about struggles and problems and different writing issues every week. It's every Wednesday night, and that's free. Anybody can come. Um, we have a blog and lots of writing tips, and I'm just going to, um, I'm about to offer consultations with people. So, like, if you're stuck on a story and you don't know what to do and you want to just talk it out, um, that's going to be what the consultations can help you with. And how do people find all that stuff? So, that's all at our website, which is odysseyworkshop.org. All right, cool. So, I think we're going to wrap things up there. So, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Can I just say one thing? I wanted to say that, um, you can cut this out, I don't care. I just wanted to say that when I started the Brainery last week, last, like, September, I said to myself, I will have made it when I get to be invited as a guest on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> and I, just, I thought that would take years man so i'm like whoa i'm on the right path <laughs> all right well i'm definitely i'm definitely not cutting that out <laughs> hey it took me 20 years to get here <laughs> <laughs> and that was our panel so a big thanks again to gene cavellos jilly dreadful and john joseph adams for joining us on the show to learn more about odyssey and the brainery visit odysseyworkshop.org and transmography.net slash brainery. And to find John's article listing the various writing workshops, Google John Joseph Adams Basic Training for Writers. Also, I'm a regular staff member at Alpha, the summer workshop John mentioned for writers ages 14 to 19. Alpha has been running for over a decade now, and former students who've appeared on this show include Kate Matthews in episode 91, Sarah Brand in episode 61, and Seth Dickinson in episode 53. To learn more about the workshop, visit alpha.spellcaster.org. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners such as Wes Weathersby, Nick Suffolk, Jason Lind, Laura Dirks, Jonathan Jeloni, Zoe Akim, Vlad Levin, Joanna Evans, and George Tricot. So thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. To learn more, visit geeksguideshow.com and click on crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.